Good morning, everyone. Please turn now in your Bibles to Psalm 88. And thank you, Anne, for that beautiful rendition of Psalm 88 earlier. I didn't ask for that. She just thought of it. That was awesome. Psalm 88, page 494 in your, the Bibles that are in front of you if you're using the church Bibles. And this is the final psalm we'll be looking at in book uh, three of the Psalter, which is often viewed as sort of the book of crisis. And this psalm is certainly in that vein, Psalm 88. Okay. Psalm 88. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me, You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Let's pray. Dear God, Lord, Father, we pray that you be with us this morning. Which speak to us from this dark psalm. Help us to see uh, and appreciate its darkness, as well as see uh, the light that is in it. We pray that you'd open our eyes, open our hearts, that as your people might, we might learn from you and listen to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
The one author I read this week calls this psalm the black sheep of the Psalter because it has no happy ending. It does not end in praise. It ends with the word darkness. We learn early on in life that all the good stories have a happy ending. Uh, Jana recently got a book for the kids that promptly landed in the trash when she realized during its debut that it did not have a happy ending. <laughs> I recall finishing a book uh, when I was in high school that, was, that, that had a sad ending, and I was so angry I threw it at the wall when I finished because it had this wretched ending. I won't tell you what the book is because it's considered a classic, but it's a classic not worth reading in my opinion. This psalm, however, is uh, worth reading, even though it ends with darkness. It's, it's a bit painful to read, perhaps, maybe to relate to, being reminded of those moments where you uh, have felt this kind of distress. But in the midst of pain, we get a picture of true faith. Now, This psalm doesn't have a typical structure, um, which makes sense. The writer, whose name we're told is Haman, is a man in distress. Uh, The structure feels more like uh, three circles coming back around to the same themes. And in each circle begins with Haman's commitment to cry out to the Lord. And so verse 1 is the beginning of the first circle, I cry out day and night before you. And then uh, verse 9b, every day I call upon you, O Lord. And finally, verse 13, but I, O Lord, cry to you. Now, it would be repetitive if I used those um, three circles as my outline for this sermon. And so instead of doing that, we'll look at three themes that show up in each of these circles. Uh, three aspects of true faith. And we'll begin with the honesty of true faith. So my first point, the honesty of true faith. This honesty looks like laying all your troubles out before the Lord. And so when uh, one of the ancient kings of Israel, his name was Hezekiah, received a letter from the king of Assyria who was rampaging across all the nations of that area of that land, he he sends a letter and he warns Israel, you're next. Uh, Hezekiah takes the letter and he goes up into the house of the Lord and he lays it out before God. That's what true faith does when it encounters distress. It lays everything out before the Lord. Surely you noticed the depth of Haman's honesty in this psalm. It's so personal, you almost feel a little bit like you're intruding on him. He never tells us exactly what his problem is. Maybe it was purely psychological darkness he was dealing with, deep depression or mental instability. Maybe he was sick. Some people think that perhaps he had leprosy given his isolation and the fact that people were avoiding him. Perhaps he was unjustly imprisoned 
or uh, maybe just socially isolated because of some, some false story that had been told about him. Maybe he was just old and ignored and forgotten. He leaves his struggle general enough that many of you should be able to relate to him. And even if you can't so much, and you came to church today wanting to dance a happy jig rather than read about somebody's dark days, I want to challenge you to make yourself a companion in prayer with people who do feel this way. Because I guarantee there are people in this room who have felt this way and perhaps feel this way right now. Taking this psalm seriously is a first step towards taking their hand and saying, we're going to walk through this lament together. So here's how it feels when your soul is full of troubles. Uh, Verses 3 to 7, it feels like you're more dead than alive. Um, It feels like your strength and your will to live have been sucked out of you. Uh, The psalmist describes uh, feeling like a, a dead body, perhaps lying out there after a battle on the battlefield to rot or thrown into a mass grave, forgotten. He goes farther, though, this man Haman. He feels physically dead, but he also wonders whether he is spiritually dead. In verse 5, he feels like he's been cut off from the Lord. Uh, In verse 7, and again in in verse 16, he he, he feels like he's under God's wrath. He's, He's not sure he's truly saved. What's happening to him has made him doubt His assurance in in verses 10 to 12, he spins out some of his fears into questions. Is God's faithfulness known in Abaddon? Abaddon means place of destruction. He's wondering, if I die now and I go to the place of the wicked, what will it be like? This is a dark line of questioning. But maybe you've asked this question before. You've wondered when you're suffering, you're getting no response from the Lord. Do I truly belong to him? What will death be like? Where will I go? The Westminster Confession reminds us that while true assurance of salvation can be obtained, it is not of the essence of salvation. And so, Uh, True believers may have their assurance in all sorts of ways, shaken, diminished, or intermitted by things like negligence in preserving it, by falling into some special sin which wounds the conscience and grieves the Holy Spirit, by some sudden and violent temptation, and even by God withdrawing the light of his presence and allowing those who truly fear him to walk in darkness and have no light. This is a possible reality for Christians. But listen, it's actually Haman's honest laying out of these 
dark fears, these dark questions before the Lord, that proves his true faith. And this is one of the primary lessons of Psalm 88. It is okay to speak your distress to the Lord. In fact, you need to lay your sorrows out before him. And it is not a sign of weak faith to do so, but a sign of strong faith. Weak faith is when you turn your face away from him to the wall. You run from your sorrows through Netflix or alcohol, through pleasures or through work. Strong faith is when you go to the house of the Lord and you lay your distress before him. Jesus showed us this wasn't sinful, this wasn't wrong on the cross when he cried out, God, why have you forsaken me? That's the same question that Haman asks in verse 14. Why do you cast me out? Why do you hide your face from me? And, and, and just like Haman feels like he's dying, Jesus told his disciples, Matthew 26, 38, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Surely he thought of Psalm 88 when he said that. The darkness of Psalm 88 is not the experience of the wicked or the weak. It's the experience of the righteous. And Haman's honesty offers our faith strength by showing us that this path has been walked before. Now, there is an honesty that descends into bitterness and anger that would be sinful. Some of you may remember my sermon two weeks ago on Psalm 73. There are some really interesting comparisons between Psalm 73 and Psalm 88. In fact, the, uh, the writers may be brothers. Asaph, who wrote Psalm 73, had a brother named Haman, uh, who was also appointed by King David as a worship leader in the tabernacle. So that may be the Haman mentioned here. But even if not, it's worth reading these two psalms this week and comparing them because Asaph recognized that there were things he was thinking in his distress that would have been wrong for him to say. But in Haman's psalm, here in Psalm 88, you can't really find any sinful bitterness or anger. In fact, I think this psalm is one of the most challenging expressions of true faith in the Bible because you have on the one hand incredible suffering and on the other hand you've got unbelievable submission to God. Which transitions to my second point, the submission of true faith. The submission of true faith. Over and over again, throughout this prayer, Haman says, you have done this. He's not, he, he's not speaking to his depression. He's not speaking to his sickness. He's not speaking to all the wicked people around him. Of course, right, there were secondary causes to the suffering, the, the problems that he's experiencing, but he is speaking to God. He knows who is in control of his life. He knows who allows this pain to continue, and he is honest about that too. Verse 6, he says, you have put me in the pit. Uh, Verse 7, you overwhelm me. Verse 8, you have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror 
Verse 14, you cast my soul, you hide your face. Verse 15, your terrors afflict me. 16, your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. Verse 18, you've caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. You, 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 O Lord, have brought me into this darkness. Read like that, this is a letter of accusation, isn't it? So why do I say it shows submission? Because never does Haman say, and it's not fair. Never does he say, and it's just not worth following you anymore. Never does he shake his fist at God and and yell that he can't possibly be a good God. He's not pouting or demanding to know what he did wrong or complaining that he's been a good boy. So why is this happening to him? He does not question God's motives or character. The farthest he goes is to say in verse 14, why? This is the submission of true faith. Weak faith would be to soften God's sovereignty over those difficult events in the world that we don't want to admit he is in control of. And truly, right, we need to recognize that God's sovereign control over life never takes away man's responsibility for his actions. Uh, Jesus was delivered up according to God's definite plan and foreknowledge, yet crucified and killed by lawless Men who were called to repent for their actions, Acts 2.23. But we are not living in true faith before the Lord if we fail to recognize that the dark events of our lives occur according to God's plan. The submission of true faith says with Haman, Lord, you have crushed me. Again, we go to the cross, right? And we remember that in the garden, Jesus acknowledged that God's will was sovereign over all the darkness that he was entering into. Seemingly, the most senseless act of evil ever to occur in this world. The only truly righteous man ever to be slain. The only perfect person to ever face God's full wrath. And it wasn't just a penalty for one man but the full cup of God's wrath for many people's sins. That is not fair. But Jesus never said those words. The farthest he went was to cry out, why? This level of submission to God's will is very challenging. Psalm 88 is not an easy prayer to pray. You will need Jesus to pray it with you. And you have Jesus to pray it with you. Say to him, Jesus, you prayed this prayer with no bitterness or anger. Help me to do it too. Help me to submit. Help my darkness to come into perspective when I see the darkness you faced for me. I need a companion to sing this psalm with me. And you, Jesus, are the only one who I trust to get me through it. 
And so we turn to my third point because this psalm is above all a prayer, which is a critical aspect of the true faith that we see here. Uh, So my third point, the prayer of true faith, the prayer of true faith. The most basic way to show your faith in God's salvation is to pray, right? The psalmist begins by saying, by recognizing that God is the God of his salvation. And this makes sense. How do you indicate to another human being that they exist, right? You, you look at them, you speak to them, you touch them. How do we interact with God? We pray to him. The first act of someone who believes in, in God and his way of salvation through Jesus Christ is to pray. But not just the first act, right? Prayer is to be persistent, a persistent act in our lives. There's a certain rhythm here to Psalm 88 that feels unique in this sense, right? So if you compare it to Psalm 73 again, you guys remember Psalm 73, it, it, it has a dramatic arc to it, right? It starts high, surely God is good to, to Israel. That's where Asaph begins. He drops down into the pit, in vain have I kept my heart clean. And then there's a dramatic turning point where Asaph goes into the worship of God and he sees God and then shoots it, it shoots upward, right? For me, it is good. To be near God. That's, that's Psalm 73, but Psalm 88, right? Very different. It's sort of a steady, churning, repetitive rhythm that it has. Uh, that, is, that, that, that is regulated by these, these three times that Haman cries out to God. Verses 1, 9, and 13. Each one reestablishes his pattern, and, and it restarts that circular outline that I mentioned in the beginning of my sermon. And, and notice, right, there's no resolution to this pattern. Which leaves us assuming the pattern just continues on and on. What's the lesson then? There are times in the Christian life where we get no resolution. What do we do? We keep praying, right? Like Jacob wrestling with the angel, his hip popped out of its socket, but still with a death grip on God. Or like uh, the persistent widow seeking justice in the story Jesus told, Luke 18. She's crying out, crying out, crying out until she beats down the judge with her continual coming. Haman describes the same persistence in, in, in this psalm. Verse 1, I cry out day and night, right? Uh, verse 9b, every day I call upon you. I spread out my hands to you. He's reaching, reaching, reaching. He, he, he wonders in verses 10 to 12, what will happen if he dies and, and goes to the grave now? He's not even certain of his salvation, but... Right? Notice that at the beginning of verse 13. But despite the dark place I'm in, I keep crying to you. Actually, cry to you is is too tame. The verb here means to utter a successive series of screams. And then you notice his third time marker. 
verse 13b, in the morning, my prayer comes before you. Each morning, in that hopeful time, before the day has unfolded, he prays. It's unbelievable and so challenging, isn't it? The the psalmist, he mounds up these descriptions of pain and fear and sorrow, and then he returns each time to his commitment to pray. Christian, this is true faith in a world of doubt and doom. Persistent prayer, no matter the sorrow and no matter the answer. Honest, submissive, persistent prayer. That is true faith. If the writer of this psalm wasn't clearly suffering so much, he probably couldn't get away with challenging us this much. We might feel judged for our own puny prayer lives. But because his distress is so real, we are compelled to hold his hands and walk with him. We're drawn to his rock-hard faith. It's a challenge, but not a chore that he calls us to. But before we close, you may be asking the question, does the darkness of verse 18 get the final word? Do we let Haman have his sad ending? Do you just want to throw the book against the wall and imagine some sort of happy ending for this guy? And the reality is, of course, that no Christian's story has a sad ending. Jesus proved that when he rose from the dead and broke the power of the grave. But don't jump ahead too quickly. This is the only psalm that gets to end this way. And it meets many Christians right where they are. Because sometimes it surely feels like there could be no happy ending to our lives. Even if we feel uh, assurance about our destination, we may struggle to imagine enjoying that destination because of the sadness of this life, what we've lost. It's fitting then that we turn now to partake of the Lord's Supper because this is a meal that reminds us of a seriously sad ending. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross was such a dark moment for the world that the Gospels tell us the sun refused to shine and darkness fell across the land. And yet, right, wonder of wonders, but for that time of great Darkness, the darkness of Haman would be ours forever. There would be no point in honest, submissive, persistent prayer because true faith would be far, far out of our reach. Destruction, death, and darkness would be our only heritage. But because Jesus embraced the full darkness of God's judgment in our place, there is a happy ending for you. This meal is a a simple guarantee of that promise. True faith is a gift to you. 
just like the elements are about to be given to you. And in this meal, your faith is strengthened that you might follow the persistent footsteps of Haman and keep praying even when all your eyes can see is darkness. Let's pray. O Lord God of our salvation, we cry out before you like Haman. Let our prayer come before you. Incline your ear to our cry. Our souls are often full of troubles. We feel our lives slip away from us. We struggle with assurance that we are yours. We struggle to be honest with you, to spread out our hands before you, to submit to your sovereign will. Make us persistent in our prayers in the morning. May our words come before you, and may the darkness that Jesus faced for us be our light, even when we are distressed and lonely. In his name we pray. Amen.